Welcome to the MLB Trade Rumors Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the MLB Trade Rumors Podcast. The weather outside is frightful, but the hot stove is so delightful. My name is Dara McDonald and with me this week is Tim Darkus. How are you doing, Tim? Hey, Dara. Happy to be here. So last week on the show... Uh, we talked about how the Dodgers had ruined baseball by signing Shohei Otani. Uh, baseball is over. RIP had a good run. But this week, they shoveled some more dirt onto the corpse of baseball by also acquiring Tyler Glasnow. Now, there's four players in this trade. Tyler Glasnow and Manuel Margot going from the Rays to the Dodgers for Johnny DeLuca and Ryan Pepio. And then... Glasnow was also given an extension. What do you make of all this, Tim? Um, I think I think it's picking up, um, you know, one of the closer uh, guys to an ace that you can get, um, you know, especially outside of the free agent market. I think that the Dodgers were able to sign Glasnow on a somewhat below market extension. And I think that some people think that maybe they overpaid in terms of the money on that deal, um, and, and I would disagree. I think that he's a rare breed of pitcher at that caliber. And um, I think after this trade went down, I kind of uh, consumed a lot of the discourse about Glass now, and it made me realize that um, I disagree with a lot of it. And so um, I, I took a trip through his injury history. Uh, I wrote about this uh, for our Trade Rumors front office subscribers on Friday, but I took a trip through that. I looked carefully at, you know, what happened and, and why he's missed time. And it is true that he's topped out at 120 innings in a major league season. Um, but, you know, I think if you're kind of talking about, you know, what has what has he ever done, you would look at, um, you would include minor league time, you would include postseason innings. And, you know, he has definitely exceeded 120 um, so the injury history is kind of interesting. And, and I watched a video, um, of glass now speaking, um, after I wrote the post that actually kind of backed up my point. And my point is mostly that once he reached the raise, which is kind of the first point in his career that he was mostly handed a rotation job. Um, he did have a major injury and it was in 2019 and it was, it was a forearm strain. And, um, you know, a forearm strain is often a precursor to Tommy John surgery. And so he, uh, instead of going under the knife at that point, you know, I, I think that the MRIs kind of suggested that it wasn't necessarily time to do that. But in hindsight, it was. And so he rehabbed the forearm strain for four months in 2019. And, and then so, you know, that's not a common approach um, to kind of do that. And then in the offseason, he had a, a nerve procedure on his wrist. Um, so that's where we're at heading into 2020. And then of course we all know how 2020 went and how strange it was for baseball players as well in terms of the abbreviated spring training in February and March, and then, um, kind of the summer camp thing and all that. So that was the year that the Glasnow actually pitched a lot of innings relative to other pitchers. He was fourth in baseball with 86 innings in the pandemic season. Um, a third of that coming in the postseason. So you have this guy that had something going on in his elbow because the forearm, whole, the whole thing is kind of related. He had something going on and instead of surgery, they they rehabbed it and he wasn't perfect. And he, 
he kind of pitched through this to to be heavily used in 2020. So the Rays by no means were babying him. Um, so then he comes back out in 2021, and I wrote in my post, this is kind of a recipe for disaster at this point. He's a guy who was worked pretty hard coming off a major injury and then had, you know, a very strange season. And then so he dominates for half of 2021. Then he finally fully tears his UCL. And, you know, on the video, he's talking about how it's like completely off the bone or something. And so that's all kind of one injury. So when you look, in my opinion, so if you look at that, those innings totals, it's like it's it's all based on that, I think. And if if in 2019 he gets surgery, then probably in 2021 and 2022, he would have 150 innings or, or so per year. Yeah, because the discourse you alluded to, there were many jokes as soon as the extension news came out. It's like, oh, he broke his wrist signing the extension and ha 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 ha, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, no, that's an interesting um, argument that you laid out uh, in your piece. And uh, since you mentioned it, let's uh, let's hype the front office thing because, um, you know, we like to uh, get people to sign up because you get extra articles and stuff like that. And then also you had a couple people sign up this week. Because Steve wrote something about Atlanta and they were like, hey, I just signed up to read this Atlanta thing I heard about. And you were like, yeah, sure, I'll forward it to you. So yeah. like, if somebody wants to read your Tyler Glasnow thing, sign up. Uh, yeah, and I know that it, that's not a very efficient system. Um, sign up for a thing that we've already emailed out and then we're going to forward it to you. Um, <laughs> that's, that's the system we're operating under at this moment. So if you sign up, it is a little more about the... Um, the exclusive articles we're going to email out to you, plus some of the other perks, which I can mention. But if you signed up because you heard about a specific article we wrote, um, there's kind of an introductory email that you'll get. And if you just reply to it and say, hey, can you send me some of the recent stuff? That's no problem. And I'll do that. Um, in 2024, though, we are looking to kind of move these articles, which is about two or three a week. We're going to move them out of the inbox, or maybe have both, but we're going to put them on the website so that if you do sign up, you can go back through the archive and check everything out. So paywalled on the website, right? What's that? Yeah. Yeah. And so that'll be an improvement. Um, you know, and, and one thing I'm going to get into a little bit later in this show, um, because I use it constantly and I, I just think it's so cool is our contract tracker. So for the $30 a year, um, you get exclusive articles from from Steve and Anthony and occasionally me, you get a chat with Anthony every week that's just for subscribers. So it's easy to get a question in there. Um, and you do get our contract tracker and, and we'll get into that a little bit later. All right. So an interesting narrative around Glasnow, you know, if he, you know, he could always get hurt again, who knows, but, uh, you know, just because, you know, it's like Tim said, it's an interesting uh, thing to watch because it kind of was just one issue for that 2019 to 2022 period. Um, what else? We got a big deal this week. The Giants, the biggest deal of the Farhan Zaidi era. The narrative around the Giants for a long time has been about the deals they didn't get done. They did not get Bryce Harper. They did not get Aaron Judge. They did not get Carlos Correa. And now we got Jung-Hoo Lee getting... $113 million plus a posting fee of over $18 million, making this about 130 mil. Um, this was, I think, way more than a lot of people expected to. Yeah, this is, this is, I would agree, the consensus kind of put him 
possibly at, at half as much. You know, I think we were at 50 and I saw a lot of people at 60. And I think I saw maybe one person in a John Heyman article who reached 80. So I, I don't think anybody expected um, Jung Hu Lee to get paid like this. But that said, I think that when we are trying to project a contract for a foreign player, we're taking more of a shot in the dark because we can look at some of the other KBO deals, but you know, Jung Hu Lee and Ha Seong Kim are two completely different players and kind of to try to piggyback off Kim getting 28 million and saying that Lee might get 50, it's, it's a stretch. So, I mean, what you really have is, you know, a bunch of teams scouting this guy and making their own evaluation and kind of plugging him into their model and, and figuring out what he's worth. And it doesn't really matter, um, you know, what different KBO players have been paid before. And it is something of a bidding war. Um, and everybody's going to have a different evaluation of that player. Um, so I did look at, you know, it's a pretty short list of players who made the transition from KBO and then they were like a 10% better than average MLB hitter. Uh, Kim did it with the Padres this year. Jung Ho Gong did it with the Pirates in 2015 and 16. Um, that's all I really found. There have been certainly, you know, Korean born players who were really good, like Shin Su Chu, but in terms of KBO success as a hitter and then jumping over to MLB and carrying that over, it, it is pretty, pretty rare. Um, that doesn't mean Lee can't do it. You know, he's probably the best player in KBO, so that's important. Um, but I think that there are a lot of unknowns on him. I think that, you know, most people would acknowledge that too. You know, we don't know how well he can play center field in the major leagues. It's not necessarily clear that he has 10 home run power. And it's a pretty short list of players who don't hit 10 home runs and are valuable regulars. Um, if you have him in center and his defense is, you know, kind of average, then I think that that can work. If you feel like you need to move him to a corner and he's hitting seven home runs a year, um, and then who knows if he can hit left-handed pitching, I think that's a little bit uh, in question. And so there's certainly some risk here, and the Giants kind of, I think, I think they were influenced by their past and and some of their some of their missed targets and getting a Korean star is just cool. So I think there's some marketability beyond his abilities. And, you know, I did look at his projection fan graphs. I think it's from Steamer. And I think he's projected for three three wins above replacement. And if he can do that, um, it's a really good signing. And, you know, also of note is that if he is able to be that kind of regular center fielder, then he probably will opt out after four years and that posting fee is not refundable. So I think the Giants will have paid him over $90 million for for just those first four years. But on the other hand, if he is looking to opt out, it'll mean he succeeded. And so I think the Giants would be happy with that and they would probably look to retain him. So it's not really a problem. Yeah, it seems like the thing that uh, everyone is saying about this is that there's wider error bars of uh, outcomes compared to other free agents like it could like you said if he turns into like a really good hitter and really good center fielder then it's a bargain but also um i saw i think it was eno saris of the athletic shared some like exit velocity data from the kbo and lee's exit velocity data was pretty similar to ha Song kim before he came over and then ha Song kim was not good in his first year in north america uh and so if you're getting a guy who's like barely above league average and then as you said it's not even sure that he sticks in center field then suddenly it's like uh you know maybe this is uh, a lot of money for a guy who's only okay 
Uh, yeah, I I think ahead. that I think that um, there's this hope maybe that he's like the uh, a Luis Arias who can play a decent center field. Arias being a pretty rare breed of current MLB player, so it's kind of a lot to ask, but um, it's certainly possible. And I I did read an Andrew Baggerly article for the Athletic where he talked to Ryan Sadowski, who um, has worked with a lot of um, MPB and, and KBO teams and is a person I've talked to too. And, and Ryan said in that article that um, that the Giants kind of paid for Lee's ceiling. And I think that's a really good way to put it. Um, he kind of needs to play up to the top of his ability to be worth, you know, the total outlay that the Giants put out here. Right. Well, it will be uh, interesting to see because, like I mentioned, this is the biggest, I think prior to this, the biggest free agent contract that was given out by the Giants in the recent uh, Farhan Zaidi era was for Carlos Rodon, which was only $44 million. Then even he opted out after one year, so they didn't even pay that whole thing. So this is a big jump. So they will certainly be hoping that he does reach that ceiling. Um, so continuing our tour around the NL West, um, let's talk about the Diamondbacks because they've also been having an interesting season, uh, off season, excuse me. A couple weeks ago, they got Eugenio Suarez, and then more recently, they signed Eduardo Rodriguez and Lourdes Gurriel Jr. So, how are you feeling about the Diamondbacks winter? Um, so, Mike Hazen has been the Diamondbacks GM for seven years now, and Rodriguez and Gurriel are his number two and three signings behind Madison Bumgarner. So, you know, this this is the Diamondbacks uh, spending pretty big by their own standards. And I kind of came into doing this this show with no objection to those signings. And I was mostly going to say, yeah, you know, those are fine. Um, these are kind of two or three win above replacement type of players. And you wouldn't, wouldn't really expect the Diamondbacks to go to the top of the market, which has been rare for them in the free agency. But I, you know, I dove into our contract tracker just to kind of see possible comparable deals to what the Diamondbacks did. And the conclusion I reached, which is something I think you probably have heard before, is that it can be pretty dangerous to operate in the middle of the free agent market. And I would say that's what the Diamondbacks are doing here. So that's that's sometimes where the Jamison Tyon and Taiwan Walker and Andrew Benintendi and Mitch Hanniger and Jose Abreu, those those things all happen from the middle of the of the free agent class. And I, I, you know, I'm cherry picking here. I cited some examples that I think that in the most part teams would like to take back. But if you look a little deeper and if you look for, I think there's something about signing free agent starting pitchers specifically for four years. Um, and I might write about this because it's kind of interesting. But I think that there's something about four years and that you were just dangerous enough to get four years. You know, the saying kind of, you know, just dangerous enough on a certain topic. And I think that a four-year pitcher in free agency is kind of just good enough. He can't get the five, six kind of mega deal, but he's not also getting that three. So he's he's done some interesting things. He maybe had a career year, something like that. And so uh, our contract tracker goes back to 2010. And I looked at the 13 uh, four-year deals that starting pitchers have gotten in free agency. And I looked at only the ones that have ended. So I don't have uh, Steven Matz or Jameson Tyon or Taiwan Walker in there. And so I also I did include the Mariners uh, Yusei Kikuchi deal, which I think he opted out of the final year. But anyway, 
over over the life of these deals, these 13 deals that kind of are a proxy for Eduardo, Eduardo Rodriguez's deal, um, the median and the average war of these deals are both a, a, a bit less than five. And that's for the entire length of the deal. So if the Diamondbacks were to get a, a solid three war season out of Erod and then a two war season the following year and then absolutely nothing else, that would that would just basically meet expectations. And so the thing that though I found really kind of interesting is that out of these 13 deals, uh, six of the players were out of baseball once the contract ended. So that's James Shields, Brandon McCarthy, Ubaldo Jimenez, Matt Garza, Ricky Nolasco, and Mark Burley. Um, Burley being an exception in that he was pretty good in his last year, and I think he just wanted to retire and he could have kept going. But the other five basically played the, played their way out of baseball, and these are all guys who signed four-year free agent deals. So you're looking at you know roughly... 40% of the guys who have signed this type of contract in the last 13 years have have busted kind of in a complete way. And I'm not saying that any of this reflects directly on Eduardo Rodriguez, but I do think it's an interesting an interesting trend. Do you have the top end of that uh, available? You talked about the busts and the back. Like what is uh, for Diamondbacks fans who may be listening to this and suddenly uh, terrified that they're going to get like a James Shields type performance out of Eduardo Rodriguez. Do you have an example of one that went well? Um, yeah, I mean, so I, I did kind of rank them by war and it is Burley. Um, so Burley as just that kind of reliable innings guy, I think he made like 32, 33 starts every year. And even though the Marlins traded him, after one year, um, he did have nine and a half war. So I think your absolute ceiling is probably 10. Um, and there's two more who I think were okay-ish. Um, that would be uh, Nathan Evaldi's deal with the Red Sox, 7.4 war. Uh, Irvin Santana had 7.2 on his deal. And he was pretty close to being out of baseball after his contract. And so, yeah, I mean, if you can get seven out of the player, I think you did well. Um, and the shield is kind of the worst case scenario, but you know, you know, you've also got guys like Alex Cobb's Orioles deal and Edwin Jackson's Cubs deal. So, you know, Jed Hoyer's kind of been a party to two of these, but I mean, I like Eduardo Rodriguez generally, and I'm, I am fine with the deal. I just, the precedent doesn't, doesn't, uh, excite me. Well, for the Diamondbacks who just watched the Madison Bumgarner situation play out, maybe they have a low bar for what they would consider a success on this deal. Like if he's not uh, completely useless by like year two or year three. Yeah. And I think I think when you sign a guy to, to four years, you really are kind of looking for the first two here. It's it's a it's not something where in 2026 and 27, I don't think that that's the focus of this deal. So if he, if he's a major contributor in 24 and a decent contributor in 25. I think that privately the Diamondbacks would say that that's kind of acceptable. And so I kind of tried to find similar proxies for Guriel and I had similar results in the contract tracker. I was like, wow, almost none of these contracts worked out. (laughs) Um, So I looked up three-year outfielder deals um, in free agency and for me, the Guriel deal gives off a little bit of a Melky Cabrera White Sox vibe um, in that they are the same age and they sign the exact same contract. But if you look at the guys on this list, um, they're like Jay Bruce, Mark Trumbo, Gerardo Parra, Denard Spann, Cody Ross, Shane Victorino. Um, again, it's like 
You're not going short term, um, which those can work out quite often. Those can be pillow contracts. Those can be older, really good players with with a little bit of life left. And you're not going into the you know five six year deal or or whatever. So you're 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 on three specifically, and you get kind of a guy who has had some decent years, but I think the risk of the player just kind of cratering is maybe higher than people realize. And I like Gerardo Parra would be a good example. He he just kind of cratered. Um, and Cody Ross gave gave the Giants, I think, like nothing. So again, I don't have like a Gurriel problem. He he is what he is. He he's uh fine and he's hopefully like a two-war player, but um there's also not a long list of guys who kind of paid off in this in this bracket. All right. Fascinating stuff. Uh, well, we got to get to your questions, but we're going, Tim, you're going to tag team this one, uh, swap Steve Adams in uh, for a reason that I will explain afterwards. Uh, but uh, thank you so much for coming on, Tim. And uh, we're going to be doing no show next week. So I'll say happy holidays to you. Great. Yeah. Happy holidays. Thanks for having me. Okay, we're going to get to your questions now. As I mentioned in the previous segment, Tim is uh, slapping palms with uh, Steve Adams, and Steve is coming in through the ropes into the ring. Uh, how you doing, Steve? Coming in for the hot tag. I'm doing. I'm doing good. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing fine, thanks. So the reason uh, Tim wanted to pass things on to you is because we got so many questions about what in the H E double hockey sticks the Atlanta Baseball Club is doing. So we got questions here from Colin, Charlie, Michael, Alexander, Bill. And in different ways, they are all asking, uh, what in the heck is going on? For anybody who doesn't know, Atlanta is swapping contracts left and right. They trade guys, and then they trade them away. They trade four guys, trade them away again, moving contracts around. Uh, Steve, you tried to make sense of this in a front office piece, uh, how far did you get in trying to understand this? When I first started writing about it, actually, they had only done the um, Evan White and Marco Gonzalez and Jared Kelnick trade. And then before we could even send that out to subscribers, uh, Alex Anthopoulos uh, decided that the Braves needed to uh, acquire David Fletcher and Max Stassi and then immediately trade Max Stassi away for a player to be named later while paying down all of his salary. And then not long after that, they took on most of Matt Carpenter's salary to kind of purchase Ray Kerr, um, an interesting left-handed reliever from the Padres. So I don't have the I, – I, I, woefully unprepared apparently but uh i at the time of my writing before the um carpenter trade i think i had figured out that they had taken on somewhere around between the not only the the salary that they were taking on and then paying guys like gonzalez and 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 stassi to to go elsewhere but the luxury tax hits that are associated with it because they're well into luxury tax territory now they had taken out taken on around $31 million to basically buy low on Kelnick and also switch from Nicky Lopez to David Fletcher, which seems kind of like a lateral move. They're both, you know, light hitting, uh, low strikeout, you know, plus defensive uh infield types. You can kind of kind of bounce around. So that was like perplexing in and of itself. Uh I think it's it's a lot of money personally to to buy low on Kelnick. I know $31 million like in, in today's game isn't huge, but then you also have to figure 
he is going to be arbitration eligible up to four times because he's going to be a super two player. So you take the base 31 million they're taking right now, and then whatever he's going to earn through arbitration, it's even if he becomes like a like a pretty good player, it's it's feasible that you know they could end up spending 60, 70 million dollars on this acquisition. And if uh if he doesn't, then they kind of spent $31 million to buy low on a guy who, yes, was a, a very highly regarded prospect, but has now and Tim Dirk has made this point, and I thought it was a good one. He spent basically three seasons or parts of three seasons in the majors, and he has had one good month in each of those three seasons, one good calendar month, and then each one kind of three or four really rocky ones. So obviously the the Braves believe uh, that Jared Kelnick can become probably better than just an average left fielder. Like they, I think they must assume that they can tap into him and, and make him um, an above average to borderline star caliber player. And if that's true, then they will, this will look like a heist for them and they'll, they'll get their flowers uh, in the years to come. The Ray Kerr is, is similar. Uh, it's, it's a little bit surprising to me to see them basically, you know, pay four, four, four and a half million dollars of Matt Carpenter's salary. Plus again, the taxes that are associated with that, which brings it closer to about $6 million to buy Kerr, who is a, 29-year-old kind of nondescript left-handed reliever. He throws fairly hard. He has some some interesting numbers last year in a small sample, but uh, he doesn't have much of a track record in the majors. And uh, it's it's one of those things where obviously the focus here is on long-term control of players. Um, but you know the Braves could have picked up a nine million dollar option on Eddie Rosario and probably gotten you know Kelnick has the higher upside, but like there's there's a much larger than non-zero chance, I think, that Rosario and Kelnick are pretty comparable next year. Um, Lopez and Fletcher, very comparable players. And there's any number of, of left-handed relievers that they could have signed uh, in free agency, but it seems like they really want to try to um, acquire some guys that they can have around uh, for the long-term, for continuity, to go along with the core that they've already signed up on, on these long-term contract extensions. It's it's very strange. Um, we occasionally see teams um, do the whole, you know, we'll, we'll buy a player by taking on a bad contract. We don't see them do it three or four times in one offseason. And generally, I feel like it's more of a move that like a rebuilding team makes. Like the, if the Pirates had made this exact same, you know, play on Jared Kelnick or something like that, you'd think, oh, hey, yeah, they're spending some money to buy low on this former top prospect. That makes sense given where they are. For the Braves, who are like just clearly win now, like World Series or bust, it's it's a little bit of a, a surprising um, sequence. And I don't blame their fans for kind of just scratching their heads and saying, why, why is this the route that we're taking this offseason? Yeah, it seems so unnecessarily convoluted. Like you mentioned Rosario. They could have done Rosario and had money left over to actually just sign a free agent starting pitcher instead Mm -hmm. of doing this whole thing with taking on the multiple contracts and moving all the pieces around. But yeah, like like you said, the only logical conclusion you can reach is that they must love Kelnick because it seems like that was the domino that started all this was that – in order to get Kelnick, the Mariners were looking to shed some salary. And so they said, well, we'll give you Kelnick if you take on uh, Gonzalez and White. And so Atlanta said, sure, we'll do that. And then everything else sort of like was dominoes from there. It was like, okay, we got Kelnick now. How do we get rid of Gonzalez? How do we get rid of White? And then they just keep 
have been shuffling from there. But yeah, it's just a huge bet on Kelnick and uh, they'll either look like geniuses or idiots. So I guess <laughs> kudos to them for putting their chips on the table. Yeah, I kind of I there there's there's a certain boldness to it in a weird it, it doesn't sound very bold to take on a bunch of underwater contracts and swap them around in these middling um you know salary motivated deals but it it definitely has the potential for them to be kind of left with egg on their face and kind of look like you tried to get too cute with this like you could have just there there were there were very straight direct you know straightforward paths that you could have taken and instead you went through this like huge gambit um and it didn't work out I think one of the things that you said there too, and and we are focused so much on uh, these weird salary trades that they've been making that this almost is like fall into the wayside. But you mentioned how they could have picked up Rosario's option and had money to sign a starting pitcher. They did sign kind of a starting pitcher, but they gave you know three years and thirty million dollars to Reynaldo Lopez with the idea that they're going to bring him to spring training and stretch him back out as a starter. Lopez had a couple seasons of 30 starts for the White Sox a few years ago, but he didn't have much success in that role. And he didn't really break out until he moved into a, a full-time bullpen uh, role where his, his stuff ticked up, started throwing harder, um, you know, kind of, kind of narrowed the pitch selection. And, and um, it's a gamble there in and of itself. Again, it's, it's a situation where it's like, is this getting too cute? We're going to go three years and $30 million to try it because we believe that we can take, Reynaldo Lopez and turn him into the starter that, you know, maybe the the Nationals thought they were getting when they signed him as an amateur and that the White Sox thought they were getting when they traded for him um, with Lucas Giolito and, and Dane Dunning in the Adam Eaton trade back in 2016. Again, like there are there have been several, you know, just solid starters who signed, you know, around this general price point so far. And would they have been better off just signing somebody who has a recent track record of some success in the rotation, be it a, you know, Michael Walker, Nick Martinez, pick any of these mid-range starters who've signed. But again, they they, they got a little bit cute with it and it, it has potential to seriously blow up on them. I think if their rotation is a big issue this year and, you know, they, they have to move Lopez back to the bullpen, you're going to be looking at, again, that and this whole sequence of these these salary trades and wonder you know, why didn't they take a more direct and conventional path to it? So I kind of, I, they're, they're taking risks. Um, if it works out yeah, like you said, they're going to look like geniuses, but there is some serious potential for it to go sideways in a hurry. Okay. Well, let's look to the flip side of this because we've also had a few questions from, uh, some very upset Mariners fans or very confused Mariners fans, you know, Brian and Chris, we got questions from them asking what the club is going to do with this money that they have saved. And then, uh, I want to read this question from Mark who says, will the technology ever exist to allow me to switch my favorite team? So I no longer have to root for a team that ownership will never allow to compete for a world series. I'm thinking like a neuralizer from men in black. Um, so things are going great in Seattle, obviously. Um, people are very happy up there in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Um, so yeah, obviously if you were just looking at what's happened so far, it's obviously disappointing because they've subtracted more than they've added. Um, but we're only uh, halfway through the off season, right? Yeah. If, if that, um, so I just did a chat, uh, a live chat on the site today um, where, you know, fans are, are also super uh, relaxed and optimistic about uh, what's going on with their favorite teams, but there's a lot of frustration and angst from Mariners fans. But, you know, one thing that I would point out to them, 
and it's not what any Mariner fan wants to hear. Like, like you just said, the off season's half over. It's probably more like 40% over Jerry DePoto has said payroll will probably increase over last year's level of about $140 million. They're around 115 or 117 right now, I think. And if you also like, they are far from the only win now team, the only like clear playoff hopeful that has done little to nothing all off season. Like you look around the league, the Cubs haven't signed anyone. They haven't made a a big splash on the trade market. The twins haven't done either of those things either. You look at the Astros within the AL West and they've, you know, spent a little bit of money to bring Victor Caratini in as a backup catcher. The Rangers just won the world series. They're losing Jordan Montgomery and they're going to have Max Scherzer out for around half of next year. And so far they've basically signed Kirby Yates uh, on like a, you know, bounce back deal to, for, for four and a half million dollars. Um, and that's those they're far from the only there are other teams too like throughout the league the you know the Orioles have signed Craig Kimbrell but they haven't done anything else um there's a lot of teams that really want to win next year and just haven't done anything yet um so that the Mariners are not alone in that that said I definitely understand the frustration you know because a lot of those teams haven't also actively worked to subtract from the roster as you said you know the Mariners used Jared Kalnick who was kind of like you know one of the the beacons of hope from their last rebuild and they wound up using him to jettison some some contracts some extensions that they no longer wanted which is a disappointing outcome obviously um you know they gave i won't i won't I actually won't say gave because i i think the eugenio suarez trade is a little better for the the mariners than a lot of their fans do um i understand that he you know quickly became popular and and, and hit for power and, and had kind of they took him on kind of as the cost of getting Jesse Winker. And it actually turned out that Winker was a disappointment and that Suarez had you know two big years in Seattle and, and made that trade look really nice for them. But his, his strikeout rate had spiked considerably. And a lot of the, the production that he had last year came with a, with a big spike in, in average on balls in play. So I, I think there's a chance, you know, a, a decent chance that like he's on the cusp of, of his bat falling off in a, in a fairly pronounced way. And I also like the arm that they got Carlos Vargas. Um, it's not a great return still, but I mean, he is one of the, if you look at pitchers who threw like, at least I think it was 10 innings last year. I wrote this in the, in the trade write up when they made the deal for Suarez um, and, and Vargas, but you know, he was one of the 10 hardest throwing pitchers in baseball last year. He has huge ground ball rates. There's a lot of Andres Munoz in him. I'm not saying he's going to develop like Munoz did, but he has uh, a good bit of potential. Um, and I think it's kind of being framed as, well, he's just this throwaway. And it's, I, I, I don't see that. Um, but the way the offseason has gone so far has obviously been a huge disappointment. And it's going to be contingent on, you know, do they bring in a Jorge Soler, a J.D. Martinez? Do they, you know, what, what bat are they going to add to the middle of this lineup to, with some of the money that they've saved, to kind of turn things around and and say, okay, hey, this isn't just us taking a step back. This isn't just us shedding payroll for the sake of shedding payroll. Um, you know, it's 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 already disappointing that I, I think, and for fans, and justifiably so, that they're kind of saying, hey, we're comfortable with Luis Urias uh, playing third base every day in place of Suarez. That's not a huge upgrade, uh, or, or it's not an upgrade at all. Um, but if they were to, you know, use some of those savings, turn around and sign a Solaire, sign a Justin Turner, sign a JD Martinez and, 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 you know, add to the lineup through a meaningful trade, then I think, um, you know, we, we probably would have a, a different, you know, retrospect on, on how all these moves came together. It's just hard to 
have that perspective on January 19th, or if you're listening to this when it comes out on, or, sorry, December 19th. Oh my gosh, I am struggling <laughs> over here. Struggling. Uh, it's a long day. I've got a toddler and a newborn. Um, but <laughs> It's been a long year. <laughs> but uh, it's it's hard to have that perspective in, in mid-December when you're just sitting here saying, like, do something, you know, give us some reason for hope, um, especially with the way that last season ended and, you know, coming up so close to returning to the playoffs and instead, you know, just sitting on the outside looking in. It's it's a tough time for Mariners fans, for sure. All right. Well, uh, still lots of offseason to go, as you said, Steve. Uh, thank you so much for jumping on. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to do it. Um, and uh, hope everyone, you know, enjoys the, the forthcoming holiday season and that, you uh, Mariners fans can can hold out hope because I I do uh, I I imagine there's going to be some better and more exciting news stories uh, on the horizon for them. Uh, it just you know the waiting is the hard part. Well, we are going to skip uh, doing a podcast next week during the holidays, so maybe by the time we do an episode two weeks from now in early January, maybe the Mariner situation will have completely turned around. Um, check out MLBTradeRumors.com in the coming weeks and uh, we'll be back with a new episode uh, in the new year so enjoy the holidays Happy New Year everybody Thank you for listening to this week's podcast remember to visit MLBTradeRumors.com and follow us on Twitter at MLBTradeRumors 